appreciate that. Uh, if you got your Bibles, we'll jump to those here in just a minute. Uh, I won't have stuff on the screen, so we'll, we'll be throwing it up there for you, or just kind of throwing it out for you to kind of read along with me in some of those things. So I think it's the first two, well, yeah, whatever, whatever lights are on. This, this works for you, it works for me, this is great. Um, it was 4.39 a.m. when this uh, cargo ship, uh, this Dutch cargo ship called the Priscilla, arrived at the Pitland Scaries which is this small group of islands that sit on the northeast corner of Scotland, kind of right off the coast there. Uh, the, uh, the princess, it was called the MV Princess actually, was this vessel that was 290 feet long, okay? So think football field, that big. And this, this ship had been sailing across carrying 3,300 tons of fertilizer from Lithuania. Uh, is making its trek all the way across when it finally arrived on that morning. Uh, the journey that this ship was taking was actually over a thousand nautical miles coming from Lithuania to its final destination. It generally would take about four to five days to get there, but the, the Priscilla arrived early that day, well ahead of time, well ahead of schedule, with all the cargo intact and everything in good shape, except for this one uh, little problem uh, that they weren't supposed to be at the Pentland Scaries. That that was actually not the location they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be in Cumbria, which is on the other side of, it's down in England, like in this, on the other side of the UK. And they had ended up here at the Scaries instead. Um, and actually they hadn't so much as arrived at the Pentland Scaries as they had crashed into the Pentland Scaries. And, and there's this giant, there's a picture actually, I meant to bring, I, I wanted to show it to you, this, this picture of this gigantic ship just run aground on these tiny islands up there in the Pentland Scaries. They were supposed to be in Cumbria. They had ended up here on the other side of it. And, and they had run aground all the way without even noticing what was happening. And the question is how? How did this giant ship in 2018, that's where this took place, in 2018, with all the technology we have, with all the you know, GPS and radar and navigational capabilities, with our understanding of the oceans and all the shipping uh, courses and charts and all the places to go, how in the world did this ship end this far off course all the way over on the other side of England and then running aground? So here's what I'm, I'm going to give you, actually. Uh, Ten seconds with the person next to you to take your guess as to how that ship in today's age ended up so far off course. Go. How many of you, uh, how many of you go, go natural disaster, storm, something like that? Okay, I got a handful. Okay, that's a, actually that to me is like, that's the most logical of, of all we got, something a force of nature wreaks it, but you were wrong. It's not, it was not a storm, it was no, no sort of natural disaster or force of nature. Um, so if you guessed that, you were wrong. If you guessed though that it was actually faulty navigational equipment, that that stuff went wrong, uh, you're also wrong. It was not that. Uh, it, was, it was not that, and it was not actually, if you were thinking maybe there was some sort of damage to the ship that caused them to have to make like an emergency ship there, or landing there. No, that's, that's not what the problem was. If you guessed YouTube, 
You're right. Correct. Very good job. Um, YouTube is how they ended up that far. What happened was the guy who was supposed to be running the night shift, uh, supposed to be operating up in the bridge, like steering the ship on the night, decided instead of doing that, he would rather watch music videos on his cell phone. And so he put the ship on autopilot, clicked on autopilot, went and sat down and just sat there and watched music videos for forever. Um, until they just ran into these islands, the Pentland Scaries, which are basically uninhabited. There's nothing even there, and they just ran aground on those things. Uh, actually, that's not 100% what happened. What actually happened was he, get, he got way off course, and then at some point over the night, he started getting these blips and looked up and realized that he was headed towards these islands, and he didn't want to go get his, wake his boss up and tell him, hey, I've actually been watching YouTube the last couple hours, and we are not where we're supposed to be. So he's like, you know what? I can deal with this. I can handle this. He's like, I'm going to just run it right between those two islands right there. And he did not run them right between those two islands. He just ran them right into them. And so, uh, and so it took like it took days and weeks. They had to bring boats out, and they had to pull it out, and into harbor, and and they had to send like dive teams down to check for damage in there, and all of those things. The reason this thing ran aground is because someone had decided to click it on autopilot. And I don't know if it didn't work. I don't know if it clicked off. I don't know what. But the ship the ship drifted far off the place where it was meant to go. Uh, at the table, we talk about this idea, I, I mentioned it last night at the end of our, our time together, our mission, uh, which is to reach students with the gospel, making lifelong, life-wide disciples of Jesus. This is our mission as a table because this is the mission that Jesus gave his church. And we believe that it's our part as a, as a campus ministry, as a parachurch ministry, to serve the church in what she's doing, which is making disciples. That's what we want. That's what we want for you, which means we are not content for you to merely show up at the table. We are not content to try to get 200-plus students there every night. We are not content to have all of you come here to retreat. We want to see you grow. We want to see you be disciples of Jesus and be like him. So that is our goal for you. We want to see you actually move towards something specific. So what is that something specific? Paul describes it using just a few words in Colossians 1. This is a little bit of a theme verse for us. Colossians 1 Verses 28 through 29 says this. We proclaim him, that's Jesus. We proclaim Jesus, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. So Paul says, this is the goal. This, this is what we're aiming for. And I would say, this is what we're aiming for for you. To present you mature in Christ. That is what you are meant to be headed towards, is maturity in Christ. Now, that gets called different things in different parts of the Bible. Or, or by different kind of scholars or theologians. Sometimes, uh, instead of being mature in Christ, the word that's used is holiness. Sometimes the, the phrase that's used is Christ-likeness. Sometimes we call it wholeness, like to be whole, to be kind of complete. Sometimes we call it, and this is a favorite one in the scriptures, godliness. 
is what it's called, to be more and more like God, whatever you call it. Here's the key truth you need to grasp for your Christian life, and it is kind of a theme for this weekend. Whatever you want to call this thing that you're supposed to go to, it is impossible for you to drift to it. You cannot drift your way to maturity in Christ. You cannot drift your way to godliness. You cannot drift your way to holiness. The Christian life cannot be run on autopilot. It just doesn't work that way. It takes intentionality. It will take effort. It will take work to become who you are made to be in Jesus, to arrive at maturity. And we know this to be true in, in so many other areas of life. We, we really do get this, and sometimes we forget it, though, in this most important area. When I first started doing college ministry, when a lot of you guys were two, uh, some of you guys were three, okay? When I first started doing college ministry, back in my day, um, we would, like, what you could do, you could count on this. For, like, a college gathering, all you had to do was have a bag of chips uh, and or pizza, and then you would just go to the store, and you would get, like, every different kind of two-liter of pop. And you would just bring the two liters there, and we would set those up, and we were, like, set. That's a party. That's an event. That's a college ministry event. And then there's this like trend that we begin to notice um, after a few years where like we would bring all this pop and we would set it there on the table. And by the end of the night, like a lot of those two liters weren't even like opened, like nobody was touching them. And we started looking around and all these students had this fancy new thing they were calling Nalgene's. Uh, these, and, and everyone was like carrying their own water around. Like they, this is kind of, I know this may sound weird to you since everyone does that now. This is like a weird like trend. Like it was a cool thing. Like is, is, is this just what the kids are into these days or something like that? But, but people started just carrying water. And then, and then I started noticing that my already skinny and scrawny physique continued to look more and more scrawny because like Every college dude was like constantly hitting the gym. That like became a thing where like every guy always worked out. It was not, I don't know if you know that. That's not how things used to be. Like it was kind of like there was like a handful of guys that that was kind of their thing, right? And then like over time, it's become almost every guy's thing. It's just kind of what you do. And guys and girls all go to the Colvin constantly and talk about that. Like I never did that when I was in college, okay? Um, that was just not... Uh, I know, shocking, right? I know you guys are all like, no. Yeah, I'm serious. I'm serious. Um, uh, yeah, this just uh, this natural, God-given right here, okay? Um, <laughs> it has become this, this huge trend uh, to be physically healthy, to be physically fit. Uh, it, is, it is really a lifestyle, and it's the way that many people, especially your age, uh, Live. It's the way they kind of choose to do their lives. And a lot of you in here fit in that category. You make those things a priority for your life. And those of you who do, you know this truth, that you cannot try to be healthy, that you cannot try to be physically fit. You can only train to be those things. And there's a difference between those, to simply try or to train. And this is the same with the Christian life. You cannot try to be like Jesus. You cannot try to be more godly, to be more mature. You have to train to do those things. Uh, I, I do want you, some of these scriptures I'll just read to you and you can kind of write them down. I want you actually to open your Bibles to this one real quick. Because um, I, I just want to read you and then for this to kind of stick with you. This one and maybe we'll do one more. This is 1 Timothy 4. 1 Timothy 4, go there with me real quick. 
In 1 Timothy, uh, at this point, Paul is talking to Timothy, who is this young pastor that he's left kind of to, to oversee the church in Ephesus. And he's telling him, this is how you do ministry. And one of the things is you do not get involved in false teaching. You push that away. And you don't get caught up in speculation and silly talk and ridiculous things. And so he's kind of giving him all this instruction about what it is to be like a, a solid minister of, uh, of the church, a solid minister of Jesus. And, and he says this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Uh, the, the first half of it is kind of a, a finishing of the last thought, but have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths, is what he says. And then he says this. This is what I want you to dial in on. Rather, train yourself in godliness. For the training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Paul says, listen, there are a lot of people. Ephesus was a place where people trained for the Olympic Games. And there was money that was put into people training for athleticism. And most cities like Ephesus would have had at the center of the place a gymnasium where people got together and they worked and they, and they disciplined their body and they trained themselves to be physically fit and to be athletic and all those things. And Paul says, listen, there's nothing wrong with that. That's, a, that's all right. But just know that that has limited benefit. Because the body you're getting only lasts so long before one day it wears out. Okay? And it doesn't matter how much you train it, one day it's giving out. But godliness, that's something worth giving your life to. That's something worth spending hours at the gym on. That's something that you should be training yourself towards because that's something that will last. That's, that's got benefit now and it's got benefit in the life to come. And if you're willing to give that kind of effort into making sure that your body is healthy and physically fit, Paul says give that kind of effort and more to something bigger and better than physical health, than physical looks. Train yourself for godliness. And this is our theme this is what we want you to chase uh, for this weekend. We, we've kind of titled this Growing Up in Jesus. Uh, at the table, we have what's called our four things. These are kind of the four things we want to see students grow in during their time. These four things that we feel like if a college student has these values and these things taking place in their life, we will see them grow towards maturity in Christ. We will see them become more like Him. Now, the first one is one that we, we've already talked about. We talked about it on the first night, and really we kind of talk about it every night at the table. It's called gospel-centered life. And that is letting Jesus' work and identity, who he is and what he's done for you, we let that shape every part of our life. And we let it affect every part of who we are. And so you're going to hear about that over and over again. We, we want to talk about the other three over this weekend. Uh, and, and so we'll just be walking a little bit through those. I'm going to talk to you about uh, this one tonight, what we call formational rhythms. Formational rhythms is... Uh, the second big thing that we call students to. Here's our definition. Here's how we define it. Formational rhythms means self-discipline for the sake of God and others. Self-discipline for the sake of God and others. In other words, it's not just me trying to take care of me and make sure that I'm good and in a good spot, but I'm actually being disciplined because I want to know God. I want to love God and I want to love other people. And so I'm going to engage in these things to do this. So that, that term, both sides of it, is actually intentional. Formational and rhythms. We call them formational because what we're talking about are practices that form us, that shape us, that transform us 
when we do them over and over again. We call them rhythms for that reason. Because a lot of people think that the things that shape them most in life are like big one-time events. That moment you went forward at camp and, and made a big decision or, or big traumatic things. And then those things can really affect you. But more often, actually, the things that affect us are not the big one-time events. They're the little things that we do over and over and over again. Rhythms that play out repeatedly in your life is, are the things that will shape you. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to take the rest of our time to tell you why they matter, and then what they are, and then what they're not. Okay? Why they matter, what they are, what they're not. Uh, so, you get in your car on campus, you go out, get out in the parking lot, and you begin to pull out in your car, and then you pull out onto the road as you begin to leave the campus to drive back to your, your house or to your apartment. And your head is spinning. You've got all these things going through your mind because you just bombed the test, and you know you just bombed that test. Like you, you're, you're, you don't have to wait to get the grade back. You know that went terribly. And the reason you bombed that test is because you did not study very well last night. And the reason you did not study very well last night is because you got into an argument with your roommate, and you're still thinking about that. And that just kind of spun you out, and you spent your evening kind of bickering back and forth, and then you spent your evening just kind of angry in your room, and you tried to study, but you really couldn't get to it that much, and so you're up late, and you couldn't focus, and then you went and you bombed the test. And so you're driving home now, and you sit there thinking about all the dumb things that you wish you, or that you said in that argument, and, the, and, and you're replaying the argument over and over in your head and thinking about the stuff you wish you would have said if you could go back now, and, and the comebacks that you wish you would have made in the moment, and then you're thinking about how stupid you are that you didn't study for that test and you're actually walking through and you can remember questions on the test and realizing right in this moment it was wrong, right? Ah, uh, number 13, it wasn't C, it was A. I knew that, I'm so dumb. How did I not know that? And you're thinking about that and you can't believe this and you're tired and you want to be in your bed and then all of a sudden you look up and you're in your driveway or you're in the parking spot right there in front of your apartment and it dawns on you that you have no idea how you got here. That you don't remember like any of that. You don't remember anything about that trip that you just took home. And you're like, what, how did, you know, you, and you know, like, okay, there's that, there's like a, there's that giant intersection go, I go through every day. I sure hope the light was green when I went through that because I did not remember, right? And it's like, I know that I turn here, which means I got to get over into the left lane. Man, I hope I didn't run another car off the road when I did that because I don't remember any of it. I just like... I got in my car in the parking lot, and then I just appeared here in my driveway, right? Have you, you ever had that moment? And that's like a freaky moment, right? You're like, oh my gosh, how many people did I run over on the way over here, right? And you're trying to figure out that it, it, it's freaky when it first happens, but the truth is, it's not actually freaky. It's actually like, there's actually a, a really good explanation for that, and that is that God made your brain to function in that way. That God made your brain with, with kind of like, higher order thinking and lower order thinking. Um, and, and so there's the higher order thinking that all of us have to do to reason through things and to, to solve problems and to come up with ideas and to converse and those kinds of things. And then there's lower order thinking that happens as we do something over and over again. It begins to work its way deep into our brain. We'll call it things like muscle memory, um, where we can just do something without thinking about it. 
It just happens when we've done it enough, when we've done it over and over and over again. It's, it's, and it's really cool because the lower level thinking allows us that, I, that ability for me to just drive my car home without even thinking about it allows my brain to process the bigger problems in life while I'm doing those things. So it's a really cool thing that we can do those, but it, it also can be a really powerful thing in either good ways or bad ways because your brain loves that. It loves a routine. It loves habits that it can form itself into. Some people call them like ruts. So picture uh, a wagon wheel back on like old muddy dirt roads. And, and the same path has been traveled by these old wagons over and over and over again until it wears this rut into the dirt road. And, and when other wagons go over it, their wheels just naturally slide down into that rut because it's been traveled over and over and over and over again. And so it's actually hard now for that wheel to actually get itself up out of the rut. No, the mind loves a rut because the rut is easy because, because that groove that you've worn down into allows you to continue life in other ways. Again, that can be cool. But you need to know that those ruts, those things that you do over and over again without even thinking about it, you're not just doing those things. Those things are doing something to you. That those things we do repeatedly, time and time again, they have the ability to shape us and change us. Every one of us has things like this. Every one of us has routines and habits that we do constantly and that are actually shaping and affecting our hearts and our minds. The question is not, do you have habits or rhythms? The question is, have you chosen your habits and rhythms or has someone else chosen them for you? The question is, have you chosen them or did they just kind of haphazardly happen in your life and you didn't, you didn't mean to choose them, you just did something over and over again? This really matters uh, because I don't know if you've ever tried to break like a bad habit. Something that's maybe, maybe it's just a neutral thing, biting your nails or something like that. Uh, or maybe it's like a sin pattern that you've been stuck in. And you tell yourself, I, I'm, I'm done with that. I've got to stop doing this. Uh, I, I'm no more. And you, you tell yourself, you swear up and down, and you tell other people, I'm done, I'm not doing those things. And then you find yourself, like that very day, going right back to the same thing over and over again. There's a reason for that. And, and, and a lot of that has to do with our own sinfulness and brokenness. Okay, That's, that's just true. Right, but, but there's other reasons, and, and one is like this. Justin Early, I, I quoted him a few weeks ago. He wrote this common rule that some of us are reading. If you know me, if you've been around the table very long at all, you know. Um, I'm going to quote Tim Keller a lot. I'm going to quote Andrew Wilson a lot. You can now add to that Justin Early. His name's going to come up a lot, all right? He says this truth, and I think this is really important. He says, you cannot think yourself out of a pattern that you didn't think yourself into. You practiced your way into it, and you have to practice your way out of it. So the bad habits, the sin patterns that you've repeated over and over again, it's not like you just thought to yourself one day, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get addicted to pornography. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start like gossiping as a way to try to like, get attention and make people like, form friendships by kind of severing other people out. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wake up and, and get myself uh, really, uh, really kind of self-oriented every day and think mostly about myself. That's not, that's not what happens. You practice your way into that by doing it over and over again. And you can't just think yourself out of it. Actually, I've heard it put this way, actually. We worship our way into sin, and therefore we've got to worship our way out of it. You worship your way into by giving your attention and your affection 
and your delights to something repeatedly over and over and over again. And the only way out is to worship your way out. That's why these things matter so much. If we are going to be formed into the image of Jesus, we have got to create Jesus-oriented rhythms. It's the only way it's going to work. Rhythms that will help us train. So I'm going to, that's why this matters. Let me tell you what these rhythms are, kind of explain this to you. Some of you might roll your eyes because if you're a leader or if you've been to our uh, freshman connection thing, uh, you've seen this come up over and over again. This, this little picture that we have that we got back up there. Um, this image, we call it kind of our pyramid thing, these three levels of formation. Okay, So some of you have seen it a lot. Some of you have not seen this. And so I, I want to make sure we cover it, even if it's really briefly. And the idea is that there are these three different areas of formation, three different areas of habits that we try to form, the top layer being missional habits. So these are someone who is consistently, continually in a rhythm of service and loving their neighbor and reaching out to uh, hurting people and to lost people and talking about Jesus, sharing the gospel, right? These are missional habits and rhythms. And then there are spiritual rhythms that are often called spiritual disciplines. Things like reading your Bible, or prayer, or fasting, or scripture memory, or meditation, or those kinds of things. So doing these kinds of things, uh, solitude, journaling, these are called spiritual rhythms or spiritual disciplines. And then there are these, these other rhythms, rhythms that we call personal rhythms. And these ones have to do more with things like Sleep, getting a healthy amount of sleep or exercise or eating healthy or engaging in like relationships rather than isolating yourself over and over again. It has to do with healthy phone and screen use and, and time management, those kinds of things. Now, the key to, to understanding this thing, the reason it's built like this is that each of these levels is built on top of the other. And so in order for me to live with healthy missional rhythms, I've got to be engaging in healthy spiritual rhythms. And in order for me to do that, I've got to engage in healthy personal rhythms. Here's kind of our own take. This is from our perspective as the table staff. What we see is we see a lot of students who want to do that top thing, and they want to do it well. And, 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 and we see a lot of students who want to actually do the second one, but we see a lot of students whose bottom layer, that personal thing, is crumbling. And therefore, they are trying to be engaged spiritually and missionally. And yet it is hard. I'm not saying you can't do it. It's hard to do it healthy. It's hard to sustain that over the long haul without breaking down unless that other one is in check. And so it's important to do those. You're going to be talking a little bit about living missionally. Alec is tomorrow night, so I'm not going to get too much into that. I want to talk a little bit about the others. And, and I, I had a debate here. So I thought for a little while maybe I would just walk kind of step by step through each of these disciplines and explain what they are and how they work and all of those things. I'm not going to do that. Tonight I'm just going to talk about two. I'm going to talk about one in the area of spiritual and one in the area of personal. Two that I think might be really foundational, some of the biggest ones for students. And so we're just going to talk about those tonight. And if you want, I, I, I think if you get these down, they will help you with the other disciplines, personal and spiritual and missional. Um, but if you want to talk about some of the other ones, come find us. Come talk to us about fasting. Come talk to us about solitude and what it looks like to do those things or meditation, those things. We would love to talk about that. But I just want to talk about two things with you tonight. First one is this, uh, scripture. And you can, uh, we'll, we'll leave it up there. You can just leave that up there and I'll stay up there for the night, Carter. Thanks. First one is scripture. When Jesus 
first gets baptized and first begins his ministry, it says that the Spirit, literally in Mark, it says that the Spirit threw him out into the wilderness, like pushed him out into the wilderness where he spent 40 days fasting. And he spent 40 days seeking, praying, preparing for this time of mystery, ministry. And during that time, the devil comes to him and tempts him. And the first temptation he gives him is, I know you're hungry, man. You've been out here 40 days not eating. You've got to be hungry. Listen, you know what you could do? If you wanted to make this easier, you, I mean, you're the son of God, right? You could just use your powers to take these rocks right here and turn that into bread and eat them. And then you'd be good. And, and it, kind of the temptation here is for Jesus to take the easy way out. That's what the devil's trying to do to him in this moment. And Jesus in that moment quotes scripture back to Satan. This is in Matthew 4.4. He's actually quoting from Deuteronomy. But he says this, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus is making a comparison here. In the same way that bread and food sustains a person, that's what the word of God does for us. This is actually one of the favorite metaphors in the scriptures for the scriptures. Is that the scriptures are like food. They sustain us. They strengthen us. They satisfy us. They actually can delight us just like good food can. That's kind of the idea that is talked about over and over again. Which means to go without this book regularly in your life is to walk around spiritually malnourished. Is to walk around anemic. Listen, you can get up and go try to run a 5K, or you can go try to run a marathon, and you can train, and you can be ready, and you can be in really great shape, and you can have all the desire and all the wants to uh, necessary in your heart. But if you haven't eaten for a day or two, you don't got a chance. And there are a lot of people who really want to follow Jesus, and they really want to do the right thing, and they really want to break free of their sin, and yet they are spiritually malnourished. And they fail to feed themselves over and over again. Is it any wonder how hard it is to be like Jesus when I'm not putting his word inside of me? That's how a lot of people live their lives. Romans 12, 2 says that we are to be transformed. This is how you change. By the renewing of your mind. And how do you renew your mind? Do you just kind of magically try to make things new? Do you try to, what do you? No, the way you renew your mind is by filling it up with things that are true and powerful. And those things come from the word of God. The way we renew our mind is by having his word in us. Now, here's where you might be thinking to yourself, you're right, I really should try to read my Bible more. I'm going to go home, I'm going to try to read my Bible more. No, don't do that. Don't try to read your Bible. Train to read your Bible. Trying's not going to work. You're going to have to systematically, intentionally set up a rhythm in your life that you will do over and over again to make this happen. Find a rhythm, whatever it may be. Maybe it's choosing that I will make it my goal that every day I will read one chapter of the Bible. Maybe it's choosing this that on the way, man, I'm not much of a reader. I'm terrible at reading. I get distracted, all these things. But I will do this, that while I get ready in the morning, I will listen to the Bible as I'm getting ready rather than having the TV on or radio on. Maybe as I walk to my class, I'll be listening to the Bible, doing those things. Make it your goal to do these things. Find sermons to listen to. Find Bible teaching on podcasts to listen to. Grab a journal, and when you sit down, read and answer three questions every time. What does this tell me about God? What does this tell me about myself as a human being or as a Christian? And how am I going to obey this? I'm not telling you to do all those things. 
telling you to choose one of those things. Choose some kind of rhythm and take a minute to read your word and pray about what you've read. Make this simple plan. Here might be the best. Make it your aim that you will pick up this book and hear from this every day before you pick up this. That you will listen to the scriptures to God's voice before you listen to the voices from your phone, before you pick up your phone. That is a great thing that I will, I'm going to read one psalm a day before I pick up my phone. I'm going to read one chapter from the gospel a day. That leads me actually to the second rhythm that I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you for just a minute about phone usage. Uh, The other part of Romans 12 too says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There are few things that give the world more access to your mind and to your heart than this little thing right here. Few things give it more access and quicker access to your heart over and over again than this thing. And when I said earlier that you have habits, it's just a matter of whether you're choosing them or others are choosing them for you. Primarily the way that other people are choosing your habits for you is through your phone. Many of us wake up, and the first thing we do when we wake up is we grab this and we begin scrolling. And maybe it's through Instagram, and maybe it's through TikTok, or maybe it's getting online and checking grades or checking what assignments I have, or maybe it's just going through to see what text I got from the night, but this is one of the first things we do. And then as we go about our day, any moment there's kind of a dead spot. I sit in class, and it's four minutes until class is supposed to start, so what else am I going to do? And I pull this out, and I look at this. And then, then we go, and we lay down in bed, and as we lay and wait to fall asleep, we just scroll through TikTok over and over again, which means our entire day is being framed by the things that are coming through our phone to us over and over again. And I'm just telling you, that's not an accident. Somebody planned for you to do that. I might sound like a crazy conspiracy theorist, but like that's actually like true. This is what companies do. There's a reason. I don't know if any of you followed this. In 2021, when uh, Meta, who owns Facebook and Instagram, got brought before Congress because uh, some people leaked documents showing that they know, one, that the things that they are putting, that they have designed their apps, they have designed their system to be addicting to people. And two, that the things that are coming through on those are harming the people who are going through. Specifically, they said teenage girls are being harmed by the stuff that is is causing uh, mental anguish, mental unhealth in a lot of people's culture. And it said they knew that. They knew those things. And yet, instead of putting the health uh, first in their business, they put money. And so TikTok cares way more. Here's way more about getting money off of you than they do whether you're healthy or not. Instagram cares way more about making money off of you and setting up algorithms to keep you scrolling than they do whether or not you're following Jesus well. It's important to know and remember those things. And what we see and what we feed ourselves over and over again, those things shape our view of reality. When I wake up and the very first thing I do is scroll through social media, one of the things that that just tells me a little bit Over time, not like immediately, but over time, what it tells me is that life is about comparison and about winning and and about trying to measure up. And I keep looking at other people who seem to be doing better than me in life. And why does he always get to go on these awesome trips? And why does she seem to always look so good, like even when she just gets out of bed and I don't look like that? And those kinds of things. And that stuff scrolls and begins to mess with us. When I get and look on my phone and I scroll through the news first thing in the morning... 
what it teaches me is that life is about being angry at everything that's going wrong in the world. And there's a bunch of idiots who don't see things the right way. And if only they could see things like me. And it sets this as my reality for what life is. When I get up and the first thing I do is look at pornography on my phone, what it tells me is that life, the reality that it shapes in me, is that life is about pleasing myself, even if it's at the expense of others. When I get up and I let this be the first word, though, what it reminds me is that life is about God and that my identity has nothing to do with what someone else posted online, and that my identity has nothing to do with being more righteous or right about things that are going on in the news, and that my identity is formed in Jesus who loved me enough to die for me. And I need that reminder over and over and over and over and over again if I am going to be able to walk in the ways of Jesus. I need to know what is true instead of letting other people tell me things that are not true. This is huge. I'm, I'm, I'm not, listen, I'm not anti-phone, okay? Please don't feel like if, like you, if I walk in the room and you've got your phone out, you've got to like throw it down real quick. Drew's going to judge me because I was like, I'm not anti-phone, I promise you. Uh, I, I mean, I think phones are really great. I, I, love, uh, I love being able to sh- like watch fun videos with my kids and family. I love all those things, okay? Um, I think they're really good and really helpful. You know what else is really good and really helpful? Cars. Okay, cars are really good and really helpful. But one thing we don't do with cars is we don't just toss keys to 16-year-olds and just go, hey, do whatever you want with that. Knock yourself out. Have a good, because they'll literally knock themselves out and some other people. Have a good time with that, right? Because cars are also powerful. And these are too. And so we know that with cars, we've got to set some limitations. And we've got to kind of talk through what's the best way to use this so that it's actually a benefit to you and other people rather than being damaging and wrecking things around you. And, and so it's not crazy to go, let's, hey, let's enjoy these and love these and let's be grateful for the things on these. But let's also, let's also be aware that they have, they have the potential to do some great damage in us if we're not thinking through how we use those. Um, again, you can't try to use your phone less. You have to train uh, you have to be intentional. So, so making a choice like this, I will look at scripture before I look at my phone. Or this, I think this is a really important principle. My phone goes to bed before I do, right? So I put my phone to bed, I turn that off, I put the alarm on, and then I lay down in my bed. And when I lay down in my bed, I don't pick up the phone because it's already gone. I already put that to sleep. I tucked it in. I sang it a lullaby. Okay, it's in bed. All right. And now, now the kid's in bed and now I can go to bed. Okay. But I'm not going to let it put me to sleep. It's not the parent. I'm the parent. Okay. I, I tell it what to do. It doesn't tell me what to do. And so I'm going to put it to bed and then I'm going to go to sleep. And that way I don't stay up late. And that way I don't frame my mind. And the last thing that gets mentioned to me, the last message I get is from the world. And I don't want that to be the truth. And so uh, putting my phone to bed before I do, or doing this one, turning my phone off for one hour a day. Or, or at least doing this, going and putting it like in another room for an hour. Putting it in a dresser drawer for an hour. Just going, I'm done. I'm, I'm putting it away for a little bit and taking a break for it. Um, putting screen limits on your phone to where your phone just starts shutting off after two. I've tried to do that, and it's like a panic moment when it's like five minutes left. I'm like, oh, no, 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 right? It's only, it's only two o'clock. And I, okay? But that's, it's been good for me to do those things, to try and limit myself because I found myself getting pulled in more and more and more. And when I actually look, I don't know if you've looked at your screen usage recently, it's scary, right? You're like, how did, I was just answering a few texts for nine hours, apparently. Like, that's like, like it, it's weird how it does that to you, 
right? And so, like, I've had to do that. I'll, what I'm telling you, I, I'm not telling you, you've got to do this thing, you've got to do this thing, you better do this. I'm not t- listen, you need to decide. What I am telling you is unless you have a plan, and unless you make a rhythm out of it, it's not going to happen. And so I'm asking you to think through those things. Okay, let me quickly tell you what spiritual rhythms or what formational rhythms are not. Okay, I'm going to try to go through this quick. Formational rhythms are not powerful in and of themselves. There's nothing magical about formational rhythms. They cannot change you. In a, now listen, they might make you more productive. They might make you more self-disciplined. They might make you kind of a better person. They will not make you more like Jesus. They can't by themselves. They're just practices. Jesus is the one who changes us. Did you catch that in Colossians 1 when Paul says, I want everyone to be perfect in Christ, and so I labor for this with all the energy of Jesus. Jesus is the one who works through me to change people. I can't change people, and spiritual disciplines and personal formation and missional formation can't change people. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is the only one who has the ability to change things. But what formational rhythms do is they put us in a position where the Spirit can work in me. Formational rhythms are really like raising a sail on a boat, okay? I can't control the wind. I've got nothing to do with the wind. The wind is the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus describes him as in John 3. He's like wind. All I can do, though, is make sure that when the wind's blowing that my sail has been raised so that I'm catching that wind and he's pushing me forward. That's my job. And then he does the rest. That's what formational rhythms do for us. Here's another thing that formational rhythms are not. They are not spiritual bonus points. Okay? Remember this truth at the bottom. The, the foundation for the principle or for the whole pyramid here is this gospel truth that our value is given to us, not earned. That Jesus gives you your value and your worth. It is not earned. It is not earned by being more disciplined. It is not earned by being more spiritual. It isn't, he doesn't love you more because you do those things. No, no, the core truth is that you are loved already. Your value has been given to you, and therefore we do these things. Okay? The danger of formational rhythms, especially spiritual disciplines, is that we sometimes turn them into these measuring rods for spirituality or these spiritual merit badges that show what a great Christian I am and how spiritual I am and how good I am at following Jesus. And when I start to do really well at those things, I kind of start to look around at all the other people who aren't doing as well as me and wonder what their problem is and why they, why they spend all their time playing video games while I spend my time reading the Bible. And what happens is I'm becoming not like Jesus, I'm becoming like a Pharisee. And it's becoming the opposite of what they're designed to be. And so we need to be careful that, they, that we know these things. Uh, that's not the goal. These do not make you a better follower of Jesus. They make following Jesus easier. Two guys get together to go run a race. They stand up next to each other. It's cold, though. It's like, it's like February, and so it's really cold. And so none of them showed up in, like, shorts and a tank top. They showed up in, like, a heavy coat because it's really, really cold out there. And they don't want to show up like that. So they've been in that, and they warm. And they line up there for the race, these two guys. One of them takes his coat off and gets down, and he's got shorts and tank top on. One of them leaves the coat on. Which one wins the race? Which one gets the medal? Answer? got nothing to do with who takes the coat off. It's whoever finishes first, right? Right? You don't get a medal for taking your coat off, okay? You don't get a prize for taking your coat off, but I will tell you, it's much easier to get that prize if you take your coat off. That's what formational rhythms are. 
You're not getting a medal. You're not becoming. It's not like I read my Bible. Therefore, I'm more like Jesus. No. But reading your Bible will make that easier. And so that's the idea of these things. Here's the last thing I want to say to you. Formational rhythms are not a burden. They might feel like that. Sometimes when we talk about things like reading our Bible and prayer, it feels like just one more thing to do. One more thing to feel guilty about because I know I should be praying more and I'm not. I know I should have a quiet time and I'm not. I know I should get up earlier and I'm not. And, and it feels like I've got to squeeze different things out of my life to make room for these things. And I've got all these extra rules and restrictions and it just feels overwhelming to think about this kind of life. I'm telling you, this isn't overwhelming. It's not meant to be. Again, this is what Early says. He says, you want to know what's really overwhelming? What's really burdensome is a default, normal, unexamined American life. What's really overwhelming is to be plagued by the same habitual sins over and over again. What's really overwhelming is to be racked by anxiety as you continually conform yourself to the world's patterns. Or to try to live a Christian life with a thousand tiny hindrances that make it harder than it needs to be. The Christian life is hard. It is hard to follow Jesus in a world that, does, that doesn't follow Jesus. Just know that. But we can make it a lot harder for ourselves by tying ourselves up with a lot of world hindrances around us, by not living in rhythm of these things. Listen, you were made to chase Jesus. You were made to emulate him, to obey him, to love God and to love others. You were made to do those things. And so our plea with you is that you will be disciplined for the sake of God and disciplined for the sake of others, that you will engage in the kind of rhythms that allow the Spirit access to your mind and heart. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, it's a famous verse. It says this, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Take off the coat. Lay aside the hindrance that holds you back. Put aside the sins that keep bogging you down. Worship your way out of those things as you continually fix your mind on Jesus over and over again. Here's what we want to do. I'm going to split you back up into your groups. And we've got... Uh, four or five discussion questions for you to go over in your group and kind of talk some of this stuff through a little bit. We're going to give you about 15, 20 minutes to do that, and then we'll be done for the evening. So split into your groups, and we'll get questions to you.